It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the right. What? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, That just cut (laughs) off. Hello, good morning. Way too soon. Hey, hey, hey. No, let's uh, put that up there just like that. Okay. And uh, we were having, and and I'm not there. Now, what the heck? I'm not there either. What the heck happened there? Uh, see, just when you think you've got everything set up, uh, and, and it just, it all comes uh, to bite you in the butt at some point. And the heater just kicked on here. Uh, and of course, that's, uh, that's something else we need here. I got a feeling that I didn't reconfigure uh, that opening. Um, I'll have to uh, go in there. In fact, I'm going to take a look at it right now. Ah, yeah, there's the, there's that problem. And there's the... Oh, wow. uh, and here's the, yeah, 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 and there's that uh, problem as well. Okay, so, you know, it's, uh, uh, I... Next uh, week. Next week? <laughs> I'll take a note. <laughs> you know, someday, someday we'll, uh, we'll get this all done right, and I'm fixing it right now. I'm just, I'm just looking at it right now, so it's all set. I, I could play the open again if you want, but uh, we don't have I'll time. I'll just sit here and drink my coffee. And-, uh, and, and listen to Basil bark in the background, and, and, and Lagata has, okay, shh, be very, very quiet. Uh, and I have to, uh, let you know that it's a certain time of the year where we get to have a little fun because it's Christmas. I should have brought the jingle bells in. You know what? Yeah. And, uh, you get to to be the keeper of the jingle bells this year Mm because they're yours. So you, you absolutely have to bring the jingle bells and welcome to the show everybody uh and um we're uh, we're i'm just like knocking on this table and saying okay this is this is the week that the the beginning of the show aside where i didn't have it set properly just now <laughs> <laughs> uh this is where we just get all through and we don't have a complete mm-hmm. meltdown um last week very very interesting uh we actually in the middle of the uh the first hour had the blue screen of death just Papa, I mean, I've had this thing freeze on me before, but when you get the blue screen of death, and anybody has a computer and has gotten ever gotten the blue screen of death, just goes, ah. um, and it just rebooted, and I said, okay, well, let's restart, and we were we were back up within two minutes, but yeah. uh, and so we've spent the week uh, looking at why would the blue screen of death come up, and 
talking to the geek squad and and cleaning things on the computer and removing programs we've we've we know all them out by the roots and sometimes yeah and sometimes you can't um and that one of the things or or as you and i discussed uh yeah cut off one cut (laughs) um and we have discovered that uh, microsoft in its infinite wisdom uh, will not let you remove certain programs because they think they're more important than you are, even though you bought the computer. Uh, but that's uh, the way those things go. And uh, in fact, if there are any computer geeks out there, uh, friends of the show, who want to help me get rid of a program or two, especially the, um, what's the gaming app? See, I got a gaming computer. because Xbox? Po- uh, no, I got rid of Xbox. It's off. Okay. That's gone. That's gone. Um and there's a uh, game input uh, something something, uh, which is yeah. You, you it, emailed every, me a couple of these yesterday. Yeah, and you can you can remove it, but it will reinstall every time you reboot reboot the mm-hmm. computer. Thank you, Microsoft. Where, where, kind a, of like an invasive weed. <laughs> it kind of is, and that takes us. That's our uh, little segue. <laughs> Uh, to today's program, we're very, very excited to have somebody back on the show who hasn't been on. I'm not exactly sure how long it has been. I, I found October 12, 2012. That's what I found, too. And shes I can see her mouthing the words, oh, my goodness, really? <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> uh, and there she is, Nikki Jabour, uh, who is uh, a writer and uh, also a radio broadcaster, the Last time we did a show together uh, was, as I wrote on my blog, uh, years, uh, I think eight years and three radio stations ago for me. <laughs> um, and we did uh, something you call a simulcast where uh, she was doing her show, which is in Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, the Weekend Gardener. And by the way, I went to the Weekend Gardener uh, on 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 the inner tubes yesterday and they've got something that says join us um until october something something 2019 so um they're not <laughs> yeah it says yeah, 20, yeah. so uh you're but you're on what about 26 weeks uh, during the season is that it about seven months i think seven or eight months we take the winter off and go dormant like many plants do uh here in the you know the great white north but you know we're on for a good portion of of the season um and it's we're going into our 14th year so it doesn't seem like it but we've been on for Mm. quite a long time and gosh when you and i used to do those simulcasts those were the highlight of the season really oh my goodness well i'm glad to hear that well and it also (laughs) took like uh 18 engineers behind the scenes to to do all that oh yeah i had nothing to do with any of the technical stuff let's be clear (laughs) yeah and um and now it's just you know you set it up on your uh your your tabletop here and uh you and i'm just let's keep it simple we're not trying to simulcast with your show you're not on the air now there anyway tell me about the weekend gardener obviously it's a gardening program and i imagine you turn on the microphone and you immediately the banks light up and you have 37 questions uh that you have to answer well you know it's funny the weekend gardener like many shows and and, and things that we do has evolved a lot over the years so it started as a call-in show um and now it's two hours but you know we don't really do calls anymore we get hundreds of tweets throughout those two hours uh, Hmm. asking questions sharing their gardens and and advice as well um but it's mostly me just talking to experts or everyday gardeners uh, or just people that you know love to get out and just get out in the garden and grow food or flowers so um we've evolved a lot but I, i love the fact that i get to connect with all of these people um and oftentimes you know i do go in the studio 
studio usually. This year, of course, I was from my home in the basement. Uh, the studio, studio <laughs> set me up with a basement studio. But uh, often we go to greenhouses and garden centers and broadcast live from there too. So that's always fun. Uh, and we have to talk about that. We got to talk about all of this because obviously <laughs> even in Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, there was a pandemic, but not the way it was here. Just before today's show, Nikki uh, was talking to me. And, and by the way, let, let me do a proper imp- introduction because um, you're an author of several books, um, and uh, they include The Year-Round Vegetable Gardener, which uh, has done very well for you, um, and uh, Nikki Jabour's Veggie Garden Remix, Groundbreaking ba- Food Gardens, which I happen to have a copy here. I was looking. Oh, nice. Yeah, I was looking for my copy of uh, the year-round vegetable garden, which I know I had at one point, and there it is. Uh, there it is. I thought I had it too, and I'm not finding mine either. So, well, I, I think I know what I did with mine, and I think you'll appreciate this, Nikki. I think I donated it to uh, the Illinois Master Gardeners so that nice. they, they could resell it and make some money for their programs. So, uh, awesome. I, you know, at a certain point, you have so many books, and you want to share these with folks. And so uh, that's what I do. I often I just take a couple of boxes of books uh, to the Illinois Master Gardeners and, uh, and yeah, help nice. them out. So I wish I had that one here, but, you know, I've got – a copy of your brand new one, and this is where we do our our, our, our fabulous little thing here, which is called <laughs> Growing Ooh. Undercover. Yes. Ooh, techniques for That's a... That's our new, our, our new technique this morning, yes. <laughs> That's right. For a more productive weather-resistant... Po- I love it. tree vegetable it's garden. Fancy. I, I, I'll try to do the title. If you guys want to keep talking, that's okay. It's but <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. Well, just for yeah. that, for that, I'm taking it away, so you don't get to see it. We'll we'll bring it back later. Uh, but that that book is so new. You have the only copy right now, right, Nikki? I, I actually do have the only copy, and I only have one. Um, so I wouldn't let my mother take it when she saw it a couple of days ago. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's being it's not being released technically until December, so we still have a another couple of weeks before it's everywhere. But I think we'll see it in stores probably in about two weeks. And of course, people are pre-ordering it now as well online or from their favorite local bookshop too. And that's the idea. You want to get it out before the holidays. And again, yeah. something that I keep talking about on this show, and we talked about with that Dr. Alan Armitage, who was on a few weeks ago. We talked about with Chris Bates from Grower Talks is the number of new gardeners the the amazing number of new gardeners during the pandemic year and your book is exactly what they need because this is how to grow your own food especially in climates that are not as favorable uh to growing all year round uh that's that's yeah. kind of what you do you're 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 the uh, the master of all seasons aren't you uh, nikki I kind of think of myself as an extreme veggie gardener, except for the fact that most of what I do is really easy. And like, I mean, we're here, we are late November and I don't have to do any work in the garden. You know, there's no weeding, there's no like tending these crops. They're just covered waiting to be harvested. So for me, it's a really lazy, easy way to garden and extend the season. And of course, reduce pests from cabbage worms to flea beetles, as well as deer, which are always in my garden and rabbits and other pests like that too. Yeah, and it's something that uh, I'm going to have to remind you of later in the show. I, I want to talk to you about my beets. 
<laughs> which are still out in the yard. And nice. in, in the next uh, couple of days, we're going to get some freezes here. It's been really late. I mean, we're going into the 1st of December, and I'm still harvesting baby chard and baby kale out there, wow. and I don't have any protections for them. It's just been yeah. a really good uh, in autumn. Uh, and you're doing the same thing, yeah. right, Peggy? My, my kale's doing wonderful right now. Uh, oh yeah, my ca- even my kale in the garden's doing great, and we've had freezes for about six weeks on and off. Um, it's just so ridiculously hardy. Chard is not as hardy, um, but you know you can harvest kale all winter long in zones yeah. really four and up with minimal protection. Love kale. Kale is uh, like a yeah. super food and a super veggie, and your friend in the garden. Kale is your friend, uh, although. <laughs> The thing I discovered this year, and I did not know, and actually, I can't even take credit for it. It was Kathleen uh, who planted baby kale and baby chard. I, I had no idea they even existed, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm supposed to, and I've been doing this for 23 years. Uh, but uh, she planted them in the indoor garden, and I wish I could, uh, I, you know, uh, just send sh- uh, shoot the camera over that way. We've got our happy leaf grow lights there. Nice. And and we've got uh, kale and uh, uh, chard and parsley and pak choy and, uh, and arug- beets. You said arugula. The beets are outside. Well, we got baby beets oh. in here. Yeah, we, we're going to have beets, the yeah. beet okay. greens here. Um, so it's like a root, you've got microgreens growing indoors right basically, now. Basically, really. except they're not so micro. Um, you know, <laughs> we can make yeah. a, a full salad. We're already at the point where we can do a full salad here, which is perfect. It's going to be the perfect timing to make the transition from uh, outside mm-hmm. to inside. But later on, I, I'm going to ask you about whether it's possible to keep the beets going a little longer, and we'll, 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 sure. talk, we'll talk about that. Uh, but I wanted to get back to the thing we started to chat about uh, right at the top of this, and that is what it's been like in Nova Scotia during the pandemic. And before the show, you were telling me it's been a little bit different from what it's been like in the rest of Canada and uh, especially the United States. Yeah, I mean, we uh, like, I mean, it's everywhere, of course, it's spread globally to every country and every corner of the world. And we shut down early, uh, we shut down our borders, and um, people stayed home for for a good long time, really, it was probably close to two months that people just stuck to public health orders. And, and so we had the first wave, and then it passed. And, you know, we had a mask mandate, the four maritime provinces bubbled together, which means we could travel between the borders without, um, you know, needing to self isolate. But other than that, if you came from anywhere else, to isolate for two weeks. So uh, that bubble has now popped because we had a normal summer pretty much and a normal fall. Uh, but, you know, we do have masks everywhere we go, which is, you know, it looks a little dystopian, but it has certainly helped prevent the spread of the COVID-19. So now that our bubble has popped because we have a few dozen cases back again, people are being more mindful, staying home. Um, and of course, again, the masks, hand sanitizing, all that. So we've had, you know, pretty much a normal existence for months, which has been great. Um, but people pay attention to what our public health tells us for the most part, which is which is great because it benefits all of us, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's in the own, our own self-interest to, to help and pay attention to these things. A normal existence. Uh, listen to that, yeah. folks. Why? <laughs> Crazy, Be- eh? Yeah, well, because you guys got smart at the top of the pandemic. Also, you're a little bit isolated. Uh, let's do a little geography lesson for our American friends here. The four maritime provinces are... 
Yeah, Nova Scotia, where I am, which is about a million mm-hmm. people. Um, New Brunswick, which is also borders Quebec and Maine. Uh, then you've got Newfoundland, which is an incredible province that's, um, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador, beautiful provinces that are a little more northern than us, the border Quebec as well. And then Prince Edward Island, which is an island province off Nova Scotia that is just a heavenly place to visit. It's joined by a land bridge as well as ferries. So the four different provinces. Fantastic. And you guys were smart. Um, and uh, I, w- <laughs> I wish we could figure out how to be smart down here. But uh, it's so interesting to hear the different stories. And so one of the things that happened, as I mentioned, is a bunch of people this year uh, in in America, in the United States, probably in Canada as well, probably elsewhere in the world, started thinking about growing food uh, as mm-hmm. not as a hobby, but as something serious, something that might someday be really important for them, which is where your brand new book comes in, Growing Undercover, Techniques for a More Productive, Weather-Resistant, Pest-Free Vegetable Garden. Um, and this is not something new to you, all of your gardens in the past have been about. Uh, I, I'm glad you called it extreme gardening because uh, I was gonna I was gonna do that, and I thought, well, am I insult <laughs> am I insulting her by calling it extreme gardening? Um, no, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so tell us why you're doing this book. How is it different from the books you've done in the past since you've you know covered this yeah. territory before? Yeah, I mean, so Year on Vegetable Gardening came out, I can't believe it, 10 years ago. Um, wow. Although wow. it's still, you know, given the pandemic and people wanting to grow food, it's certainly been at um, the top of the book selling charts, which I'm super grateful for. Um, and, Pete, you know, when I wrote that book, I thought, is anybody going to want to hear about the crazy things I do here in terms of extending my season for winter, cold frames, mini hoop tunnels? But, yeah, they did, which was fantastic to see there's so many like-minded gardeners. Um, and so Growing Undercover basically builds on that foundation. It's all the things I've been doing the past 10 years. Um, you know, I've added a polytunnel, which is a really comfortable walk-in growing space. And then I talked about, you know, how do you grow food in a space like a tunnel or a greenhouse or a dome, um, as well as different types of cold frames and different types of tunnels I'm using as well, mini tunnels. Um, so there's a lot that's new in this book for sure. It's, and it's all the stuff I've been doing the past decade. But, you know, like a lot of gardeners, I feel there's also not only a garden boom, but also a greenhouse boom. So many people in my own province, you know, across Canada, across the U.S., have put in structures this year. Little backyard DIY greenhouses. They've ordered hoop tunnels. Um, You know, they're doing domes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people growing undercover. So I wanted to teach them, how do you grow cucumbers undercover? You know, how do you grow them vertically in a greenhouse? How can you grow more food using these simple structures? And, you know, all the things you need to think about from irrigation and ventilation. And, you know, in my own backyard, my garden is completely solar powered. I don't have any heat. Um, I don't add fans and things like that. So I rely on solar energy. Um, And, you know, me opening doors and windows and rolling up the sides of my structure. So it doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but it can be a really effective way to boost production, grow healthier plants, and just, you know, uh, and have more space to grow food. I think a lot of folks are going to, I'm glad you said it doesn't have to cost a lot of money because as as I was reading the book, and by the way, your polytunnel seems to be the the place you live in in the winter <laughs> um mostly true yes <laughs> uh and and, and the and, area there for drinking your tea and everything why don't you I ex- do, and you know it's funny during the pandemic when we were all locked down for that first section of the time like my kids built they took all my straw bales that i had in the shed and they built like beds up there and like couches out of <laughs> straw bales 
and covered them with blankets and they would be up there, wow. you know, with their earphones in, texting their friends because it might be freezing outside in March or April, but in the polytunnel, it's like 75, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. It's wonderful. So it's a great place to hang out. <laughs> Why don't you explain uh, to our viewers and listeners exactly what a polytunnel is? How is it different from a greenhouse? How is it different from a hoop house? Uh, a row mm-hmm. cover, uh, all uh, because you you go through all. Of, and by the way, folks, if you pick up a copy of the book, all of that is explained. And thank you so much for not just saying, "Oh, well, you can put a hoop house up," and not saying, "Well, what are you going to construct it of?" And how you actually walk people through it, which is uh, a, a very helpful to uh, people like me who uh, I'm not I'm not uh, mechanically inclined <laughs> at all. So explain yeah, it helps what helps me too. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you if know? you got it written down, that's good. And you've had, uh, you know, a lot of practice doing this, so I can tell that you can whip one of these things up in, in a matter of minutes. So, what is a polytunnel? Well, my polytunnel is, you know, it's what you'd see often on farms or uh, market gardens. So it's basically a, a steel hoop, um, you know, covered in clear poly down the center. It's one of those gothic peaks to shed snow. Okay. Oftentimes, it look more like a half circle. But in my region where we get a lot of snow, I wanted something that would shed the snow pretty quickly so it wouldn't build up. Um, and because I live in Hurricane Alley as well, I wanted something that was really strong. Um, so it gives me a nice, comfortable growing space to work in and grow food. And I mean, I still use my mini hoop tunnels in the garden and cold frames as well. But having a walk-in structure makes, you know, it just it creates this whole giant microclimate inside my garden and lets me grow food in a way that's really, you know, easy to do, comfortable, um, plenty of space. But I'll admit, Mike, when we built it and I stood in there for the first time, we've got raised beds in there, and I thought, this is a lot of space. How am I ever going to fill this? It took about three days, honestly, and that <laughs> was filled. And, and then and you're looking look for space again. Yeah, uh, I am. I'm like, why didn't I add two of these and go, you know, 48 mm. feet long? All right, all right. So let's go back because you froze for just a second there when you were just discussing the difference between the domed and the peaked. Yeah. Uh, you have a, a domed, right? Or do you I have, have a, a peaked. A you have a peaked. Arch. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, the I Gothic arch. It, it, yeah. Yeah, it sheds snow really well. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I think I live, in, I live in a suburban area. You know, it's in my backyard, but it's still kind of visible from the road. I want it to look beautiful. A lot of people would prefer to have a glass greenhouse or polycarbonate greenhouse. And, heck, I'd love a glass greenhouse, but it's going to cost you probably 30 or 40 times as much than a polytunnel per square foot. So, you know, I wanted something that was affordable, that didn't cost a whole lot of money. Mine was less than a couple thousand dollars, um, but it's going to give me a, a huge crop of food every year, probably for 30 or 40 <laughs> years. So, you know, you can take your budget, obviously, into consideration. You have to take your land into consideration as well. You know, you need to have a sunny space away from trees or structures that maybe are going to cast shade or potentially fall branches on top of your structures as well. So there's a lot of considerations to take into yeah. account when you're thinking about what you should build. And, of course, as you guys probably know, domes are popular too, geodesic domes. They're smaller, smaller footprint, um, but they certainly shed wind and snow very well. And they capture lots of solar energy. So there's a lot of different types of structures you can DIY or buy now as kits. All right. Let's, oh, let's... And one thing we found around here is some of the municipalities <laughs> will or won't oh, allow. We, uh, we have, we have yeah. discussed on our show now for about three years a woman in one of the suburbs of Chicago, Elmhurst, mm-hmm. who created uh, uh, a, uh, a poly... <laughs> poly... <laughs> a hoop house. Well, a hoop house. Yeah. Or a polytunnel. Polytunnel. I was thinking, what's the second word? There's polytunnel. It's really a polytunnel in the way that Nikki uh, explains it. Um, and 
it was nine feet tall and i forget how 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 wide um it was it was done to the standards of the municipality what they deemed proper and then the municipality came by and said no you got to take it down um and they were growing food in it of course over the winter like you you do and she's been fighting this battle against this municipality city of elmhurst Get your act together, please. Um, and, uh, <laughs> hashtag no, hoopla, someone yeah, just posted. Hashtag hoopla. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. I've got to get on the, the, uh, um, and, uh, and so, as you say in the book, and you mentioned it a number of times, check with your local laws. What does yeah. the municipality allow, and, what, and even if they do allow it, as she found out, uh, our fr- friend Nicole Virgil, um, sometimes you can get uh, sucker punched after you've put the thing up, even though there are other structures in the city much like that one. She has been singled out for various reasons. So Very strange. Th- it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and, of course, too, not only is, could it be your municipality, the bylaws there, but maybe even your neighborhood itself has certain bylaws mm-hmm. of how your property has to look. Now, listen, in this day and age and in a pandemic, I don't want anybody telling me that I can't grow food on my property. Um, but, you know, Nobody it is does. important before you right before you put up a structure to look into that but yeah I, I mean you know i share this food with the neighborhood with my family friends food banks so we grow a lot of food and you know it's something i think we should all be allowed to do in our properties i i think so too and this is something i look looking back at uh, when you were on in 2012 i was looking at the blog and and among the things we talked about and and i i feel very strongly about this uh don't tell me I can't raise food on my property, especially when your your uh, municipal law ordinances and laws allow people to put poisons on their lawns, which can affect our kids, our our pets, ourselves, um, uh, the environment. It's okay to poison things on your lawn, but it's not okay to grow <laughs> vegetables. All right, this okay. What's wrong with this picture? Is is what I want to say. Well, I'm happy to say Nova Scotia is a province where you're not allowed. You know, can't go buy wheat and feed anymore. Um, because we don't have those, like you know, you have to have organic, natural lawns and gardens at this point, which is fantastic. I know we talked about that again yeah. in 2012. So th- we're talking uh, eight years ago, and you guys were have been way ahead of the curve. Uh, and I wish that uh, more states in the United States would ju- and municipalities. The problem is there are preemption laws in the United States where local municipalities cannot. Uh, create a law that's stronger than the state law and the chemical guys went out years ago and they went to all the state legislatures and said okay we're going to pass these laws so these other municipalities can't do it so in a lot of ways we're stuck until we have uh, an awakening but that is what it is the point is if you're going to put up one of these structures check the laws of of your city or wherever you are yeah the, the other thing though that you mentioned which is uh, and I have to say it now, and we have a couple of minutes, and then we'll get into it some more, is I don't have that kind of property, and a lot of people watching and listening to this show don't have the kind of property you have with, or, that's open or enough. The sun. Or the sun. Peggy doesn't have mm-hmm. the sun. I don't have the sun. I'm not even sure I can do a cold frame because uh, my garden is on the northern side of my house. At this time of the year, I've lost almost all of the sun behind the house. Um and if I don't have any sun, what's the point of a cold frame or something like that? Well, if you don't have sun, I certainly wouldn't advise putting a food garden site anyway. There are certain vegetables and herbs that can grow in less light, um, mostly leafy greens, as well as certain crops like the beets you mentioned earlier. They do okay in partial shade. 
Um, but, you know, that's where we then look to other parts of our property, um, you know, front yards or even growing in containers. And you can use certain covers in containers as well to extend your season for sure. Um, or putting a raised bed in your front yard if you have more sun there, which could be then topped with a mini hoop tunnel or a cold frame in the cold season. Or even, you know, in summertime, I use covers as well to grow more food. Um, shade cloths, row covers to cast shade as well. Help keep soil more moist and help me, um, you know, plant my succession crops that I'll eventually eat in fall and winter as well. So, you know, covers can be for fall, winter, spring when it's still cold, as well as for the hot season in summer. Okay. All right. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, uh, I may get to uh, specifics, but again, the point that Peggy and I want to make is we, not everybody has the, the perfect space uh, to do this. And even uh, it, it, in the winter, it can be a lot harder depending on the angle of the sun. In the summer, as you say, you can use some of this stuff uh, uh, to uh, put together your garden and protect your plants. Uh, that is Nikki Jabour, as you can see on the screen, author of Growing Undercover. Uh, your comments are welcome. I know Peggy's uh, staffing the uh, mm -hmm. Restream chat. Um, and anywhere on Facebook or Twitter uh, or YouTube. Periscope you or Periscope, YouTube, yeah. you, you chat. It shows up on the one screen, and uh, we'll try to answer a question. Get your questions in uh, right now, and uh, Nikki will answer. We need to take a yeah, short we have break. A, and we what? do have a couple comments when we get back, too. When we get back. It's the Mike yeah. Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we shall return. Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. Now that we've put away our gardens for the winter, it's time to start indoor gardening. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Oh, the weather outside is frightful. 
but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, make it so, make it so, make it so. Man, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought me some tea, are very hot. The lights are turned way down low. Make it so, make it so, make it so. When we finally kiss, good night. How I hate going out in the storm. But if you really shut up, Wesley. All the way home, I'll be warm. Oh, the fire is slowly dying. And I, dear, we're still goodbye, then. But as long as you love me, so make it so. Make it so. Make it so. Hello, I'm James Covenant. Thank you for watching my video. That's all for now. Have a Merry Christmas. I'll see you next year. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we got, we got uh, a smiley uh, face. Uh, thank you. Uh, Nikki, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan at all, but... That was so good. That, that, good. <laughs> and, I, and I had to give James Covenant, uh, you can go mm -hmm. at, at James Covenant on Twitter, um and uh give him his due because uh i realized i could download the video too and we've been playing it's not just the audio anymore it's not Yay. just the audio anymore we've <laughs> snappy been j dog is given a lot of lols and that was great it's on periscope here or youtube oh great so i'm glad snappy j love dog loved it um and it okay where's the uh and and you're probably wondering how I could do that, and it's because... I have an ultimate storage capacity of 800 quadrillion bits. <laughs> My total linear computational speed has been rated at 60 trillion operations per second. Uh, and that's just for starters, okay? And, and one other wow. thing, although we, we play, you, you see it in there, but not this version, we need to play this. Shut up, Wesley! <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have the smacks in there, so uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, welcome back to the Mike Novak. See, it's, this is the problem with uh, guests who get on the show uh, during the holiday season um, because we, we start doing this kind of, of nonsense. Um, and, uh, uh, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad. And we're talking to Nikki Jabor, author of Growing Undercover. Let's do our little Zoom cube. There you go. Um, and... and 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 we have yeah. a read oh yes i'll tell you what let me do this and then we'll get to some comments uh and questions that uh people are are asking about uh the final event in the forefront ideas in food and farming series is coming up on sunday see i never remember we've got the reads that's why i've got peggy there said uh we've got to do this read okay uh the forefront ideas in food and farming series is coming up on sunday december 13th at 1 p.m join McHenry county college's center for agrarian learning for regenerative agriculture i'm sure you appreciate this nikki details of a profitable journey it explores the key principles of healthy ecosystems and defines ways these strategies can be applied to farms ranches and gardens of any size if you've ever wondered what folks mean when they talk about regenerative agriculture sign up for this season nationally Recognized, and of course, just at that moment, the screen goes out. Nationally recognized North Dakota farmer and rancher Gabe Brown 
we'll discuss the six consistent principles of healthy ecosystems and describe how you can work with these concepts to cultivate healthy soil, plants, animals, people, and even profits. He'll also share the personal story of how he and his family took a broken and degraded farm and turned it into a land teeming with life. The Forefront Sessions are free online via Zoom, but you need to sign up. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out upcoming events in December and January and February of 2021. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. As I said, we've got Nikki Jabour uh, with us this morning, and we're talking about her new book. Uh, Peggy, do you want to get uh, some comments or questions there? Um, sure. We have a couple. One was a comment that I have a small unheated greenhouse, and I use it in the springtime for starting seedlings. But other than that, I don't really know what to do with it. So I well, presume you know this I is do... probably... Yeah. You know, those, yeah, like those small, small little ones. Greenhouse. Yeah. I, you know, yeah, I had, I've had those in the past too. <laughs> I had one of those. Um, here's the deal. Uh, my, uh, I used to have a dead neighbor uh, and the house, ne- <laughs> the house next door. Uh, <laughs> yes. My neighbor died. Okay. And the house was kind of uh, sitting there. And so we, I had one of these greenhouses unheated that, you put together and you put the plant mm-hmm. and it was really like seven feet tall and like six feet wide. Um, and uh, a friend had given it to me and we stuck it. She had a slab of concrete in the back where there either used to be a garage or there was going to be a garage and it never happened. So there was all this wonderful sun and we put that thing out and man, you put your tomatoes in early, you put everything in there early. Uh, the problem is my yard, uh, much more shade. I've got trees, can't you know if i put it in it's just going to kill swaths of of plant life in my yeah, you yard you have no room for that in your yard i have no room for that all. anymore <laughs> and i got to tell you i miss it terribly uh because those yeah. are very helpful aren't they nikki yeah i mean uh, you know greenhouse polytunnel same principle it's capturing solar energy and creating a microclimate around your plants so yeah i use mine in spring to start seedlings as well as start things like spinach arugula lettuce carrots beets all those cold hardy vegetables months earlier i'm seeding usually in late february for new crops um but then you know once the seedlings are out or the first crops are out in go my tomatoes cucumbers peppers melons um you know i grow artichokes year-round here in nova scotia in my greenhouse um so it's a great place to grow these plants and in the my polytunnel i have two raised beds one on each side and then down the middle Mm -hmm. it's empty um and i set up just like the fabric planters down there in the summer and that's where i plant a lot of my tomatoes and, and climbing crops like cucumbers and then, of course, in you know the polytunnel or greenhouse will let you harvest later. You know, into really probably six to eight weeks after the end of a traditional outdoor growing season, you can still harvest in your greenhouse. Um, and then you can use it to grow crops for winter harvesting. Anything from different types of lettuce and the hardy greens, kale and, and such like that. Beets, you know, uh, carrots. Just really depends. There's really over thirty types of crops you can cold season harvest. So I would think about how much space do you have? Um, do you have beds in there, or is, can you grow in containers? Because you can certainly grow tomatoes, uh, peppers, eggplants, melons, all those in pots in summer as well in there. And then towards the end of the season, bring them out, put something else in there for winter harvesting. Uh, I think it's a good point. You mentioned that even in a polytunnel, you can put containers. You don't necessarily have to have it in ground. Um, Did we answer the question at all, Peggy, in that? Um, 
I guess the, uh, where I would it, take I that question would be, sorry, I'm getting texted at the same time. Um, I, I guess the <laughs> question I would have would be if it's not heated. Mine's not how, heated though. And it's small. It's, well, what can we do to, to maybe get that a little bit warmer? You know, you get well, into some ways to keep them warmer with lights. Yeah, and I mean, things. it's really, it depends what their goals are, I guess. You can use lights to, to add um, some heat. You know, some people would even put a barrel, depending on the size of the structure, a barrel or two of water in there uh, in black mm-hmm. plastic containers. And that's like a heat sink, and it's going to absorb some of that heat during the day and release it slowly at night, moderating the temperature a little bit and preventing the really big temperature spikes up and down. So you can do that as well. Um, you know, some people in their polytunnels or greenhouses, depending again on the size and layout, they'll use gravel or stones like for pathway materials. And again, that will absorb heat during the day and release it slowly at night. So there's a lot of simple things you can do without having to, you know, buy a heater. Um, but it depends mm-hmm. on the structure and what you want to grow and what your goals are. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors to consider, which I mean, I outline them in the book, of course, but there's yeah. lots of different ways you can, you can certainly extend using a bit of heat from, from material, natural I, materials. That's to me, what I would say is pick up the book, the person who wrote this, yes. because you do outline, you go through, in fact, after having read the book, um, I, I'm a little overwhelmed by all the different things you can do and all the different <laughs> materials you should be using. You know, uh, you've got all the, tell us about some of the different materials you use um, uh, for covers. Yeah, because you mentioned row covers earlier on. Uh, also, remake covers, or you know, people call them those as well. Just lightweight, you know, almost fabric type covers, and they're very handy. You can use them to protect from frost. You can use them to prevent uh, mm-hmm. birds from eating your newly planted pea seeds, for example. Um, or the really lightweight ones, also often called insect barrier fabrics. You can put on top of your kales or other crops in your garden to prevent cabbage worms or flea beetles on your arugula, on your your eggplants and tomatoes. Um, and you can actually because insect barriers let so much light through, as well as air and water you can leave them on all season long or over your potatoes to prevent colorado potato beetles so some of these can be insect barrier fabrics and then of course um you can even use things like you know plastic sheeting polyethylene sheeting Uh, i use them to build mini hoop tunnels which doesn't take very long but it's easy to do Uh, you can use larger uh, cold frames um, you can you know which can be polycarbonate or glass or made from different materials you know the boxes can be made from wood or bricks um, you know or even straw bales so there's really a lot of ways you know, you should consider your garden, consider your garden goals, and then you can kind of mix and match the different types of covers that will best help you grow more food and grow a healthier crop that's less bothered by insects and pests. So first I would think about what you want to achieve, and then you can figure out how to get there. It's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and as you say, there are different materials like polyethylene, polycarbonate. There are meshes. Yeah. There are uh, – and they're, they all have specific uses. Uh, and what you do is sometimes you swap out during the season. You'll have one totally. <laughs> for the, yeah, for the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the problem is you're ready to go. You've got all those materials. If you're just starting this, what would be the, okay, this is the question that popped into my head. Let's say you're just starting out. You don't have a lot of money. You want to do some sort of row, uh, crop, uh, protection here. Um, what material is the most verse? I know they all have different uses, but what would yeah, be yeah. the most versatile material to start with? I would probably get a row cover, just a, a, a medium weight or a lightweight row cover. Uh, made which of, you can buy on, online made of what? from 
it's made of like a, a fabric-y white gauzy like spun yeah. uh, material it's a spun thing okay yeah 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 uh polypropylene and it's so it's very i mean you can get them in different grades but just an all-purpose lightweight one um you know allows about 85 percent of the light through so it's not gonna mm-hmm. if you put them over your plants for a couple weeks it's not really gonna delay growth but it'll protect from frost and cold weather or you can use it in the summertime, floated on wire hoops as well, uh, to cast some shade as you're planting carrots for fall or trying to establish a summer planting of lettuce, for example, or delay bolting, bolting of your lettuce or your spinach or your arugula in late spring when the temperatures start to heat up. A little bit of shade will help extend the season in summer too. Um, so I would start with a row cover, and then you can start with 9-gauge wire hoops, or you could get PVC piping and bend it over top of your beds, mm-hmm. um, or you can even just lay you know, row cover directly on top of your plants as well. But it looks more tidy, I think, if you float them on some type of hoop. But it's just mm-hmm. going to depend on your goals again. Yeah. And and you can buy it in a kit or you can, you know, if you just want something simple, as you said, if, if I can yeah. name the company, Gardener Supply has yeah. a ton of options. But if you go to a greenhouse megastore or something, you can get everything separately or even That's at true. your You're local right. hardware and- store. Yeah, and that's a great point because often I just buy them separately uh, and that way I can kind of mix and match and move them around. But you can buy pre-made mini hoop tunnels as well with the hoops already in there and just stretch them like an accordion over your beds, plop them down. It's very easy to do. Um, you know, so it just depends. If you don't have a lot of time, I mean, it takes me just minutes to make a mini hoop tunnel, but some people appreciate mm-hmm. the convenience of one that's already created. Um, whereas I like to, you know, from Gardener Supplies, you mentioned, I bought their, their wire hoops, which you bend to the size that you want to fit your bed space and then cover it with a simple mini hoop or a simple piece of a row cover that they have and you've got an instant mini hoop tunnel i still have those in the garden yeah. right now cover you know covering baby kale crops that i'm harvesting all winter long wow i wish i could ha- harvest baby kale crops all winter long <laughs> for my outdoor garden. but th- that's okay i got some inside i, I have <laughs> now, there you go that's yeah. good i i liked one comment you made in there about the hoops of i think you were saying take um rebar yeah, or, or pvc s- maybe or nine gauge wire. But, well, it was the PVC, but to attach yeah. it in the ground, that you weren't actually driving the PVC in the ground, that you had a yeah. stake and then yeah, you, you put it over. It you put that. it over the rebar, right? Yeah, which a one you, foot tall rebar stake. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. It, you it know there there are various ways that you secure things, and it depends again what kind of weather conditions you expect and what what kind of setup you have. Um, can yeah. you and 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 you you talk about PVC, you talk about conduit. Um, yeah, and you keep using the word simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, conduit and a bender, simple. A conduit and a bender. Yeah. yeah, but you might have done that, Peggy. I've never done conduit and a bender. I've gone well, on a, a bender. You can use PVC but, conduit and not use a bender. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, how do you there's bend? There's different types. Uh, but PVC, you can bend kind of yourself, right? Whereas the yeah, so con- there's, there's different types of conduit. So PVC conduit, you know, it's about four bucks from your half-inch PVC conduit from your local, you know, uh, hardware store or home improvement center. And I just bend those over top the beds. You know, it's a really quick, easy way. Um, if you have like a, an in-ground garden where you don't have raised beds, you can use the one-foot-long rebar stakes, pound them in the ground, and then slip the end of the, the PVC on top of that to anchor it really well into your garden. If you have raised beds, uh, which is basically what I'm using now, you don't really need the stakes so much because just, you know, the beds themselves will hold that in place and prevent them from popping up. But, you know, if you want to up your garden game and you live in a cold climate like me where you get a lot of snow, you know, you can get metal hoops. And so I'll buy the half-inch diameter metal conduit, which is about $8 a piece. And then I have a metal bender, which costs about, I think, around $69. Um, but if you have a garden club, you know, or part of a garden club or an urban farm or an urban garden, often, you know, here in Nova Scotia anyway, they'll buy one. Um, and then everybody can use them to make their own hoops. 
It takes about a minute to bend a piece of metal conduit into a hoop, and it is such a strong hoop. It's been a game changer for me in terms of winter and snow load over mm-hmm. my garden bed. So, um, you know, it's, it's far cheaper than building a, a large greenhouse. For example, I mean, it only costs, you know, maybe $30 to build a mini hoop tunnel once you have the bender. And those metal hoops are going to do you for the next, you know, 500 years. So you don't have to worry about spending that money every single year, too. It sounds to me, from what you're saying, that it's even possible to do an ad hoc uh, hoop structure um, pretty pretty quickly uh, if you have the right kind of wire and you bend it over your, your bed. And then you can even just clip as you you know, and you you talk about tips for clipping on uh, fabric yeah. so that it doesn't get damaged because that's what that's the main problem you're you're worrying about is dirt on and and blocking the sunlight, but also damage to the fabric so that you can continue to use it for several years. Yeah, and fabric usually depending how you decide to clip. Some people use garden stakes, like the little U metal type stakes, and slip mm-hmm. them through their fabric, and that pokes a hole in it. So you're reducing the life yeah. of your fabric. I usually get around anywhere from four to six years from my fabric, and I try to be careful with it. Um, you know, and same with polyethylene sheeting. Like I use greenhouse polyethylene, and that lasts about six years or so. But if you're going to use something really inexpensive, like some people will just use, you know, when you're painting your home or inside your home yeah. and you can buy just a plastic sheeting, it's very thin, but, you know, it doesn't really um, last that long. It tears very easily and it breaks down and with UV rays from the sun really quickly. So that's just a one season type of material. So if I'm going to invest in a plastic for my garden, because I don't want to use plastic, you know, if I can help it, I don't here, use here. a lot of plastic. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to buy something that's going to last four years that I can use in many different ways. And that's not going to break down really quickly. That way it's not disposable plastic, um, you know, but yeah. you can also use the uh, the row covers as well. And most of those will last several years easily. With, you with, mentioned you, know, you can wash. Care. Yeah, you can yeah, wash them. I didn't them, realize I you could I, wash them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah hang them over a fence and hose them off. <laughs> uh, and yeah. you mentioned something really important because this is something we talk about on the show all the time, which is. Yeah, we don't want a lot of extra plastic in our lives. Uh, yeah. The idea is to use this as much as you can because when it's useful, life is over. You really can't recycle it, can you? Well, we, we can here. We recycle the clear plastic, so I do. Um, oh. But I try to get as much use out of them as I possibly can. Um, yeah, and I avoid buying plastics that aren't recyclable, you know, or that I can't then recycle. Um, you know, so when you're buying items, you can, you can ask those questions as well to see if they are recyclable. Do, doesn't, also... doesn't, doesn't PVC belong to that category? We, we recycle clear plastic here. In, in you, our, clear in plastic, but, but not the PVC. Oh, the PVC. Well, the PVC, I'm still using the original ones I bought 20 years ago. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, PVC. So at this point, yeah, I, I haven't had to try to recycle those yet. Um, just the polyethylene cheating. But you can also use glass for many things. Like some people would have a glass structure. But even if you're using cloches in your garden in spring, you can use large jars, recycled materials from your kitchen. If you're buying, you know, if you have water jugs or juice jugs or things like that, plastic ones. Um, or again, glass cloches. You can use lots of different materials to create covers in your garden too. So for a listener who's not familiar with a cloche, what is that? So cloche is French for bell, and it's used basically as like a, a, basically like a jar to put on top of your plants to protect them from cold weather. Uh, they use them a lot, especially around the turn of the century in spring, as well as in autumn, to grow out of season. And you can use those in your mm-hmm. garden. And it can be as simple, you know, sometimes if you buy salad, you know, from your supermarket, it's going to come in a plastic container. 
you can reuse that as a cloche over top seedlings in your garden um, for you know many uses really to, to protect your seedlings and create that little microclimate around them. So there's a lot of different materials you can use to create a cloche in your garden. You can buy them and you can buy fancy glass ones, um, mm -hmm. but I prefer to try to use recycled materials that way. Even the things we get in our kitchen, whether it's a milk jug, cut the bottom off and use it as a cloche over your tomato or pepper seedlings in spring or over you know lettuce plants in late fall. Um, so there's lots of ways cloches can be used too in the garden, especially a small garden or yeah. even in containers. That yeah. sounds like a, a solution for many small gardens, uh, city gardens, uh, small right. suburban gardens, where you take individual plants and protect them with a cloche. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. So Keep the chipmunks away too. Uh, yeah. Very true. Yeah, uh, that's true. What's your, I, I have a chipmunk problem. She has a chipmunk <laughs> problem. Terrible chipmunk problem. Uh, have you got any solutions for that? I know you were talking about uh, burrowing rodents. Uh, you, you have to be careful about that. You know, deer is one thing, uh, mm -hmm. but the small guys uh, is is quite another, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, chipmunks and squirrels can definitely be a problem in a garden. And so for that sort of solution, if you have a raised bed, for example, I would use the PVC or the metal hoops or even wire hoops over top. And you cover those with chicken wire or bird netting or different materials like that, like hardware cloth, um, you know, that will then prevent the squirrels and chipmunks from getting in the bed, but still let, of mm -hmm. course, all the light, the water and the air through. And then, you know, depending what material you use, you can have it so that it just clips down and you can lift up the side to plant or harvest throughout the growing season. And regulate temperature as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, it, if it's just, um, if you're only just using like a mesh material like chicken wire, you know, it's going to be fine. Yeah. You could cover that again with a row cover, but you don't need to for chipmunks if it's a small hole in the chicken wire. Uh, although I know places like Gardener Supply also, they have cloches made out of chicken wire. So you can pop those over top of your individual plants as well to prevent even like your pet dogs. Sometimes people are like, how can I keep my dog from eating my plants? Um, you can use them for that as well. Or chickens. If you have chickens in your garden, you don't want them eating everything. You can create, you know, use chicken wire to create little barriers to prevent them from getting your tomatoes or your cucumbers or your lettuces. Why do you think they call chicken it chicken wire? wire? Exactly, Come on. right? <laughs> Listen, people ask me that sometimes, okay? <laughs> uh, 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 I'll bet. I I'll need bet. chipmunk wire. Yeah, and, yeah and, really. And your response, of course, is... Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> I need that on my radio show. I'm going to uh, steal it from you. You know, it's... I'm it, it to you. You know, it's... it's <laughs> It's taken me two months to get comfortable doing the sound effects on this show, so uh, uh, it's, it's great you have engineers there. Uh, we have uh, just a few more minutes left. One of the, I want to call attention to something that you've alluded to uh, that I think is, is absolutely a great tip, which is putting row covers on your raised beds, and I don't think some folks think about that you're already ahead of the game with a raised bed for a number of reasons you control the soil you control the height you're not bending you control the weeds it warms up faster in the spring uh and yeah. you can control it even more if you put uh, a hoop over it and some sort of fabric uh, talk about that just a little bit yeah, I mean, raised beds, uh, you know, my, like everybody, my garden has undergone many evolutions over the decades. And I currently have a raised bed vegetable garden with 20 raised beds made of local untreated hemlock, 
Um, you know, they're 16 inches tall. Most are four by eight or some are four by 10, depending on the design and where you are in the garden. Um, but then I make lots of free formed raised beds too, from straw bales and just mixtures of straw and manure. I plant things like cucumbers and squash and gourds in. But using raised beds, it does make it easy to put garden covers over top. And where my beds are four by eight or four by 10, um, and they're the perfect length for like a mini hoop tunnel. So I use three basically hoops, either the, the metal PVC or the, the uh, or sorry, the metal conduit or the PVC conduit. Um, and then I just cover them with, depending on the season, it could be the chicken wire cover to prevent pest damage, or maybe it's going to mm -hmm. be an insect barrier for cabbage worms or the row cover for frost, or maybe the clear plastic to create that mini greenhouse environment. But you can swap out those covers and just leave the hoops in place pretty much all season long. So it's just a convenient, easy way um, to, to just, you know, grow your vegetable garden in a raised bed and prevent a number of problems, whether it's cold weather, whether it's pests or, you know, what have you. So, uh, you know, having a raised beds definitely is a game changer in making, you know, mm -hmm. garden covers accessible and easy for sure. And I want to call attention to uh, what you do in the book. And uh, let's let's uh, bring in the book again. Uh, and it's, you don't just talk about how to build these structures, uh, though you do, and you do it in great detail, uh, for which, uh, anybody will be grateful when they pick up the book. Uh, but you talk about how to take care of your favorite vegetables as well within yeah. those, uh, structures. Uh, and you go through, uh, here's just a partial list, artichoke, arugula, beans, beets, broccoli, and cauliflower, cabbage, and Chinese cabbage, cucumbers, eggplant fennel, kale and collards, lettuce, melons, peas, peppers, radishes, turnips, scallions, spinach, squash, Swiss chard, and, of course, everybody's favorite, tomatoes. So, <laughs> yeah, Earl Grey, sure. hot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, it's not just, uh, like all good gardening books, it's not just about the specific topic that uh, you're bringing uh, to bear here, but it's also... Uh, it has so many different tips about dealing with different plants from powdery mildew to to various insects that you have to powdery mildew i think a lot of people freak out when they get powdery mildew talk talk just a little bit about that uh nikki well, I think it's one of the most common diseases you can, you'll can you find in your garden, um, you know, hitting usually in mid to late summer, depending where you are, um, you know, and it's common for cucumbers and squash and pumpkins and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, so I think, you know, often using growing covers uh, to control the environment can help prevent powdery mildew, um, but, you know, like you mentioned, all those vegetables, you know, when I'm growing tomatoes in my polytunnel versus my raised beds, it's different. Sometimes I'm choosing different varieties. Um, I'm choosing more disease-resistant varieties. I'm choosing varieties that grow better in a controlled environment. You know, cucumbers, you know, which also can get powdery mildew. Um, you know, I'm growing different varieties that maybe don't need pollination if I'm growing them in a structure. Uh, there's just, there's so much variety out there and there's so much to learn when you're combining them with covers, like growing in a greenhouse, growing vertically, whether in a garden or a greenhouse. There's just a lot of different nuances to the topic. So I didn't want to mention, you mentioned all those vegetables. I didn't just want to list them and how you grow them in a garden. I wanted to then give you options of how you can grow them, you know, using row covers, using mini hoop tunnels, using greenhouses or polytunnels or domes uh, to grow a healthier crop and prevent issues like powdery mildew. Because um, it's not just about the insects we've mentioned in the past, like the chipmunks and squirrels. It's about disease reduction and prevention, too. Nikki Jabor, this has been fantastic. We, uh, we, we can't wait eight years the next time before we, we do this <laughs> no. again. Um, and if folks want to pick up a copy of the book, I've got a link 
on uh, my blog post, go to MikeNovak.net, and it takes you to uh, Story.com, which is uh, your publisher. Uh, but is there another link you'd like them to use? I mean, that's, that's great. Story.com will send you to all the different links you want. Also on my website, SavvyGardening.com, there's a link about books there as well, the books that I've written as well as my partners at Savvy Gardening have written too. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. that's a blog uh, that you do with a, a couple of colleagues, and so uh, you're out there yeah. all over the place. Uh, thank you so much uh, for dropping in from uh, Nova Scotia. The You know, it's time for me to visit Nova Scotia, I think. But, uh, yes, after, after After the pandemic. I need to get back, yes. Uh, you've been oh, there. Oh, I've been here, yeah. Please come back. Good I'd for love you. love to have you. Uh, yeah. Nikki, Mike, uh, Peggy, thank you so much. Like This has been a blast. What a way you. to start my Sunday. Thank you. You have a great Sunday, and uh, we will talk to you, I hope, uh, very, very soon. It's Done. the Mike Happy no- holidays. Oh, yes. And, same uh, you. Yeah, same to you guys. Uh, and uh, have a good one, and I hope the book sales are strong. That's, that's what I'm you. hoping. All right, take care. Thank you so much. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking to advocates from Urban Agriculture next. Please stick around. I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Let me ask you something. Have you ever considered having a professional arborist prune your trees? You and your trees will benefit from it, and I can show you why. Follow me. One of the more common reasons for pruning is the removal of dead branches. Now, in truth, with a little help from the wind, a branch like this would simply break off and fall on its own, but in a very uncontrolled way. And a branch this size falling from this height could be a very serious hazard. Our team of arborists through pruning will ensure that these branches make it to the ground in a safe way. Stand clear. All clear. When necessary, we can use ropes and rigging gear to control branches once they're cut, protecting anything of value that might lie below. You'll notice that when a branch simply breaks off on its own, it usually leaves behind a stub. And it seems harmless enough, but this is actually now an impediment to the tree's natural process to close over that wound. By making a precision cut, an experienced arborist can expedite that process, shielding this site from pests and decay. When these lateral branches grow too long, they can actually become too heavy and break. But we know how to prune to reduce the weight and almost eliminate this risk. And we can also prune them to make sure that they don't contact your house while still keeping the tree's health and beauty intact. Stand clear. All clear. Worried about your tree blowing over in the wind? We can selectively remove live branches so that strong winds will pass through your tree's canopy more easily. You know, hazard reduction is important, but pruning can also provide harmony to your landscape. These lower branches are blocking the sun and shading out this garden, and the lawn is suffering as well. By pruning these branches, we can raise the crown and achieve the goal of sunlight. It may surprise you to know that Bartlett Tree Experts also specializes in the pruning of ornamentals. There's a lot to consider when you're pruning a tree like this, and we do it every day. So, whether it's fruit trees, shrubs, young trees, or mature, 
Bartlett Tree Experts can provide all your pruning needs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sip-saw of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. Give me stuff that I can And welcome back to the show. Uh, the second portion of our program. And uh, look who is with us uh, again. This uh, bright and it is bright. It's a it's a bright November morning. Um, for it almost a change. looks like the sun's peeking out. It is. I'm getting sun down here. I don't know if uh, you have sun. Uh, Sean Not Ruane, yet, but it's getting bright. Is with us from Advocates for Urban Agriculture. Uh, I think you're getting a little sun wherever you are there too, Sean, because we had to have you close your blinds before you came on the air. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. Yeah, good morning to both of you, and it's great to be back on the show. Fantastic. Um, and, uh, uh, Sean is the executive director of advocates for urban agriculture. We talk about them a lot on the show, but why don't you explain in your own words, uh, what AUA does? Yeah. So basically advocates for urban agriculture or AUA, we're a coalition of urban farms, community and school gardens, individuals and businesses who are all working collectively together to support and expand sustainable urban agriculture in the Chicagoland region. So for us as an organization, we really pride ourselves on um, serving as a, uh, a network for folks who are really interested in growing in, in Chicago. Um, so whether you're the home gardener, the community gardener, or the commercial urban farmer, we want to be a resource for you. Um, and we do that in a variety of ways. We provide educational programming and training. We provide funding opportunities and we also do a lot of um, policy-related work, advocacy, to try to ensure that policies are in place um, at the city and at the county and even a little bit at the, at the state level to make sure that uh, urban ag can, can really thrive. Hence the name, Advocates uh, <laughs> for Urban Agriculture. And uh, folks uh, can get involved by going to auachicago.org. Of course, you have... Uh, Twitter account, you have Facebook, uh, you are on Instagram. Uh, anything I'm missing there, Sean? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, we've YouTube. About, we've talked, yeah, we've got a YouTube, a YouTube channel. channel. Uh, and we actually came out with a really great new video on our YouTube channel that highlights mm-hmm. a lot of the sites throughout Chicago and some of the growers. So I would encourage you to look at that. Um, yeah, we're on, we're on all the social media. I might have to play that one of these times because, uh, as, as you can see, uh, we get to play a little video now, uh, on the program as well. So, um, uh, I'll take a look at that and maybe I can, how long is that video? It's about five and a half, six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. What was interesting was we've had several of those gardeners on the show. Several have entered Chicago excellence in gardening awards. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to in that video. We really, yeah, we tried to 
you know, highlight folks who represented a wide range of growing in the city. So, A, every every major region in Chicago is represented in terms of southwest, north, you know, southwest, um, east side. And then um, also just different types of growers from the community gardener to the commercial farmer. Right. Um, so. That's what I like. It's it's a big umbrella for you guys. And as Peggy alluded to, um, you are a partner with uh, the Mike Novak Show, with Peggy Malecki, with uh, 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 Natural Awakening Chicago, with uh, Illinois Extension, with Shed Aquarium in the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. And by the way, any of you people uh, who happen to pick up an award this year, they're going out this week. Right, Peggy? They, uh, right. th- we're, we're sending out the certificates and checks to folks who won cash prizes. Um, we managed to do a um, – we, we, we couldn't go out and judge – gardens in person this year because of the pandemic so we had people send in one minute videos and we had uh, i haven't looked at the numbers now but at, at the time we finished the con- contest more than thirteen thousand views of the videos that uh, folks had wow. sent in yeah it was it was you know kind of ad hoc but in the end really fun and a lot of people participated um city grange is sending out certificates to uh, our, our participants as well and MWRD is sending at, out rain barrels to a few. At, right, MWRD uh, donated uh, some rain barrels, and uh, and uh, so uh, you guys stand by. You're going to get your award soon, and we're we're so uh, pleased that AUA has been a partner in that. And and next year, Sean, I'm counting on us being able to go back out. I hope so. I hope by uh, by summer. Yeah, yeah. everybody, fingers crossed. Um, and yeah, I, that's that's fantastic that you all were able to still you know move forward with uh, the awards and and you know just change the way that you evaluated. I, you know, you were saying that it was kind of ad hoc. I was just kind of thinking to myself, hasn't everything been ad hoc? In 20- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every bit of every bit of work we've done this year, you know, we had plans in January and February, and you know they all went out the window. But uh, we're all here and still standing. Yeah. Well, and what we should mention is that this is your first year as executive director. This has really been a baptism of fire for you, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, I, that's a good way of putting it. And <laughs> the, the positive spin I like to throw on it is that I've probably learned more in the last nine months than I would have learned, you know, in the position in three or four years if it were under normal circumstances. I think it's really accelerated the rate of learning for me, which has been... <laughs> you know, stressful at times, but, um, we've had a really positive and strong year. We've done a lot of great work and I'm looking forward to 2021 and yeah, hopefully being able to get out to more farms and gardens and not being so restricted by the pandemic. Well, you know, you can prepare now. It's, we're going to get off to a slow start and, and I can predict, uh, that people are going to be itching to get out. So I'm hoping that by the time we hit April, which is really the start of the growing season, uh, we have some protection, some kind of vaccine, and some way for people to do that. That's that's probably pushing it. Um, but certainly, I hope by the end of the year, for instance, we can actually celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas more or less normally. We, there's no way to tell. Uh, so, but at least now you have an inkling of what might be happening next year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about uh, why you're here today, because you've been running a program, a campaign in November called Grown in Chicago. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. So the Grown in Chicago campaign um, is the campaign that we've been running for the last month now. And really the goal is just to highlight uh, a number of different growers throughout the city and just highlight their amazing work. We've been doing a lot of that on our social media pages, just trying to get people more familiar with, you know, I think um, people don't realize how many active growers there are in the Chicagoland region, you know, urban farmers, community gardeners, and then maybe, you know, you know, your home and residential growers as well. So part of the campaign has really been just highlighting that amazing work that's being done around the city. Um, And then in terms of the AUA side of things, we've launched a number of new programs this year, whether it's our farmer to farmer mentorship program, uh, the good practices for growing in Chicago assessment tool, which is a tool designed to help urban farms and community gardens look at kind of how they're doing in terms of executing best practices both for their business and agriculturally. And then, you know, if they need some kind of support in terms of improving their marketing or improving their crop rotation or whatever it might be, um, you know, there's a series of resources that can connect them um, to, you know, to that support. Um, So that's another program that we, uh, that we launched this year. And then our, our granting programs was a big part of our work in 2020. We, we granted out over $200,000 to urban farms and community gardens in the region um that's that's more than i see (laughs) excuse me that's more um than i saw when i went online it said one hundred twenty thousand dollars. but you're over two hundred thousand. yeah so just um this past week we we uh as part of our capacity building grant we granted out uh eighty five thousand dollars to help urban businesses build their capacity, you know, um, for those businesses who are really ready to take that next step and, and grow either their programming or, or scale up. Um, so we just announced those um, uh, this past week, and we'll be coming out with more information in the coming weeks. But, yeah, that puts us just a little bit over $200,000, which we're, wow. we're really excited about. And just, grateful. yeah, grateful to all the people who made that possible for us, our, you know, donors and my, our team at AUA, our board, um, just a lot of people that, that did a, a heck of a lot of work. That's fantastic. And, and you know, you talk about being ad hoc. This is not something that you guys thought you were going to be doing at the beginning of the year, and yet it turned out to be really crucial, and you stepped up, and your, your supporters stepped up, and you were able to dole out $200,000 to keep these operations going. And um, Peggy and I, in a few minutes, are going to be talking about what we're seeing around the country, which is people out of work, people hungry. We have more hungry people in America than we have in way too long. Um, and um, and this is how they keep going. This is partly how they keep going. So um, the you've done all that stuff this week. And so for the month of uh, November, you've been trying to get people to chip in a little more and perhaps win some valuable raffle items. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, basically if you are somebody that, like I said at the beginning, we're really an organization that is working hard to, to support and, and to expand sustainable urban agriculture in the Chicagoland region. And a lot of these new programs and initiatives that I just mentioned are really helping to do that. We're getting a lot of positive feedback from our community saying, you know, this has helped us tremendously. Uh, you know, we're so grateful for these programs. Um, so, you know, th- part of this campaign is to, to raise support uh, for those programs, financial support, right? So we would invite, if you're listening today, to consider it. And all of the money raised uh, during this campaign will go directly to support those programs, farmer to farmer mentorship, 
good practices for growing in Chicago or our granting programs. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the other, again, the other part of the campaign is just spreading that awareness and helping people to understand that there are so many amazing growers. There are so many amazing initiatives happening in our city um, that, you know, if you want to get plugged in, if you want to get involved, one of the things that we've seen is this year with the pandemic and, and people having to stay inside more, that there's a renewed hunger and a renewed interest in, in getting outside, getting involved in these types of projects, learning how to grow your own food, right? There's a, there's a huge amount of power in, in knowing how to grow your own food. So uh, we want people to know about this work that's being done. The raffle items, uh, that's the last thing I'll mention. You know, for every $25 that's donated, uh, you enter into, you enter yourself into a raffle to win uh, a variety of different items that are all from local farm and food businesses. So we've, you mentioned City Grange, we have a gift card from City Grange, you mentioned MWRD, uh, we're raffling off rain barrels from MWRD, <laughs> so we we were thinking alike uh, this year. Yeah, I but saw there was some honey up there and you some get, other and, products. And brewskis are up there as well, right? We've got a beer package. We've got honey from um, the Hive Supply. We've got a farm-to-table dinner from Big Delicious Planets, uh, a food bass, um, uh, a CSA from Urban Shelley's. So lots of good lots of good uh, raffle items, and it's only a $25 donation, and you're automatically entered. Uh, really? And so that's the great thing. Now, Tomorrow's the last day, and that's why I wanted to have you on today, Sean, so people can they can donate today, they can donate tomorrow. It's twenty five bucks. This is such this has been such a hard year for people. Find twenty five bucks to donate to local growers, local farmers. Um, and uh, as Sean said, that money is going to be well spent. Uh, and in addition, you might get some wonderful raffle prize uh it might be well worth your while to do it but even if you can't uh, or even if you don't win uh the idea that you could uh donate 25 bucks and it goes to such a good cause i think is a great jump start to your holiday and that's what Ka peggy and i are going to be encouraging people to do is think differently think differently for the holidays how can you help others if you're doing okay now again there are a lot of people who are not doing okay um, and my heart goes out to them. Uh, but if you're doing relatively okay, let's help some people who, who need the help. And uh, so this ends tomorrow. What they have, what, till midnight tomorrow? Is that it, Sean? We actually, it actually runs through Tuesday. Oh, um, so okay. I think, we, I, think we to, I think we need to update maybe the, the site because I was looking at it today and saw it says one day left. But it runs, so Tuesday is Giving Tuesday, yeah. which for those who aren't familiar with Giving Tuesday, it's basically, uh, you know, we've got... Black Friday and all these other days. And so Giving Tuesday is a way for you to support nonprofit organizations and community-driven organizations <laughs> that are you know, great work. So it's, um, it runs through midnight on Giving Tuesday. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, please check out, if you go to auachicago.org, it's the first thing that pops up on our website. You can't miss it. And uh, like Mike said, um, it's, it's a great way to support your local farmers and, and community gardeners. I thought it was a little... Uh, Oh, go ahead, Peggy. I was going to say, we've put that link up in, in Restream, so it's hitting all the channels. Great. And, oh, and do it today. Just get it done. Just send, send them 25 bucks Right now. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah, right. right no, no. Finish the show. Uh, <laughs> or if you can multitask, do that. Uh, but I have to say, I thought it was a little odd, Sean, because I, and I should have called you. I should have just picked up the phone and said, could you explain this to me? Because I thought, okay, Giving Tuesday is Tuesday. 
uh, but you're stopping this program the day before <laughs> Giving Tuesday. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but I'm glad to hear that people can still donate through Giving Tuesday. Yeah, we'll get that fixed on our end. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get yeah, it fixed on our our end as 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 well. Um, and because I got to change it now on my website because I typed it up the other way. Um, so folks know about that. They know the money is going to go to some of these great programs you've been doing. Before we let you go, I just one thing because I saw it up on your Facebook page. What's the story with the water situation? You guys have been working to get. Uh, oh, he's going to sigh on Uh-oh. us. That's that's never a good thing. Uh, the city of Chicago instituted new water restrictions and and fees at the beginning of the year. Hey, thanks. Right on time for the pandemic. And uh, you guys have been uh, dealing with that all year. What's the latest on that? Yeah, what I'll share is we right now um, are making some good progress. So we've been working in coalition with a number of other organizations who I'm sure you've probably had on this show before, uh, Neighborspace, Chicago Food Policy Action Council, Grow Greater Inglewood, to try to really uh, work together on a, on a solution that's going to work for everybody. And we're also... You know, it's not just us. We're, we're talking regularly with uh, folks from the city um, and, you know, trying to really hammer this out so that we have a, a, a really solid program in place for the start of the 2021 growing season so that growers don't have to go through this again for another year. That's our goal. We, we are going to make sure that we do everything in our power to ensure that, you know, water access is affordable, it's equitable. You know, it's accessible. It's all the things that it needs to be to allow urban agriculture and, and growers to thrive. And so we're, we're working on that every day and we're going to make sure it happens. Uh, well, for folks who aren't aware of this, the city instituted new fees, uh, exorbitant fees at the beginning of the year. Like I, I want to say $1,700 or something like that. Um, and um, it sort of caught people flat footed. A lot of community guards said, we can't afford that. We, you know, and this was to tap into a hydrant, uh, what they used to tap into for 50 bucks or something like that in the past or whatever it was. I mean, it was just, it just went from, uh, a to Q, um, and, uh, instead of a to B in, in terms yeah. of, 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 ramping up, uh, is, is that more or less accurate, Sean? Yeah, I think that was the biggest challenge was that it's um, a lot of changes were made and they weren't ever clearly communicated. And so it caught a lot of people off guard. And then people were realizing these changes right when the pandemic was hitting and at its kind of strongest point in the spring. So it was just kind of this giant storm of, you know, um, all of these additional fees and protocols and things that people had to follow. And more and more people don't have the money to spend Seventeen hundred dollars. I mean, I don't think from the beginning anybody has the money to spend seventeen hundred dollars on hydrant equipment. But no, um, not a community just, garden anyway. No, 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 no community garden can do that. Okay, it just well, it's what, the it, money and the process. It was and, so difficult, yeah, and the process yeah. as well got to be Byzantine, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. So uh, the good news is now that we've gotten through the year, we do have these winter months to really kind of try to work all of this out and make sure that a process is in place that doesn't. Um, put those costs onto growers, right? We want the, we, we want, we don't want growers spending $1,700. You know, I think at a maximum, if we can keep them in the, you know, 50 to maybe a little bit over a hundred dollar range, um, that's really what we're shooting for. Uh, and then, you know, making sure that the process is simplified and clearly communicated so that people know step-by-step what they need to do and they can reach out to AUA, neighbor space, these organizations for support along the way. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, that's also part of the great work that AUA is doing. It's trying to make access to water, water, folks, we're talking water, equitable in the city of Chicago because the city kind of just kind of went off. It was odd. It just sort of out of nowhere. This all happened. So somebody wanted some revenue. Some well, and they needed. Obviously, our property taxes are going up, and uh, there's other fees that are going to be instituted. But this uh, this was uh, draconian, and it needs to be. I'm glad you guys are working with the city. Uh, so go to uh, auachicago.org or you can go to my website mikenovak.net i've got all the links there uh, send your 25 bucks in today tomorrow or tuesday by the end of the day on giving tuesday uh, and we'll we'll change it uh, sean always a pleasure having you on the show thank you so much for dropping by yeah thanks mike thanks peggy appreciate it okay we'll thanks, talk sean. to you soon have a great morning you too it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. So now that uh, we've got a few minutes here before uh, we're visited by the ghost of Christmas weather, uh, Rick DeMaio. <laughs> Uncle Ricky. <laughs> Uncle Rick. Let's, uh, let's hope that it all works. We, we did a test yesterday, so we're, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're trying to make this as, as smooth as possible. We're trying to make it as smooth as... Real butter. Okay, because uh, it is... Uh, that was well, just kind of real Christmas! smooth right there. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh sometimes I am as smooth as real butter. All right, but not very often. Uh I could play I could play that whole real butter tur- uh, turkey spot and it is the slowest commercial you've ever heard ever. in your life. Um it's amazing. But it how- is well enunciated. It is well enunciated. But that's how things change. But um getting back to the holidays um, what I think uh, Peggy and I are going to do in the next few weeks is encourage people to go in a different direction. Um, if you can eschew the Amazons of the world, uh, and all that packaging and all that glitz, um, and try something a little closer to home, like, as we just mentioned, advocates for urban agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a thing from Oxfam the other day. I mean, it doesn't have to be all local either because Oxfam's whole thing is and I I think we might actually have somebody on the show um, is to re-gift take something you already own instead of buying something now I know it's it's sort of a difficult situation because you want to support stores that have been hurting most of the stores that are doing well are the big ones so uh, the little guys are are, are not doing well but if you can uh, just conserve resources, that's a good thing as well. And one of the ways you do that is you re-gift. You find something you already own, um, and you you give it away, uh, something that yeah. me- means something to you. Uh, and I can tell you, this house is full of stuff <laughs> that we can give away. But you're re- yeah, your re-gifting, though, can also be a photo you love or a, a- a picture that's on the wall that somebody's always admired or, you know, yeah. just different personal mementos, things from vacations, just something that means something to someone. And it's, it's re-gifting and it's going to have memories and, and emotion attached to it as opposed to, like you say, buying something online. So what I want our viewers and listeners to do 
is to write, you know, drop a comment in right now. What are you doing differently this year? What are you doing locally? What are you doing to help people in need? Um, mm-hmm. There was a story in the uh, the Washington Post Washington article. Post. Oh my goodness! About how about how people are hurting? And I've, I've, where's if I can find it? Oh, here it is. Um, yeah. One in eight one Americans. In well, one in eight. one in eight Americans reported they sometimes or often didn't have enough food to eat in the past week. That's twenty-six million American adults, um, and an increase several times greater than the most comparable pre-pandemic figure, mm-hmm. according to Census Bureau survey data uh, collected in late October and early November. The number climbed to more than one in six adults in households with children. With children. That, and I was reading feedingillinois.org, and that number in the state of Illinois right now is one in nine Illinois residents, including one in six children. Well, the current a, Illinois number. Where a lot of them are is the South. Um, Houston yeah. area in particular has been hit very, very and, hard. And rural areas as well that don't uh, have food pantries. Uh, one of the other things that uh, uh, I'm looking at, see if I've got it here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. Uh, was the, is this it? No, I, I had it up. Was uh, something Kathleen well, said? Go ahead, Peggy. Yeah, while you're looking, and we were talking Giving Tuesday, um, I just checked some local resources last night. Uh, Greater Chicago Food Depository, which is chicagofoodbank.org. Mm-hmm. If you give any amount on Giving Tuesday, it is a double match. So if you were to donate 25, it would be 50 um, to helping local food pantries. And as we've had with several guests on the show in past years, donating money goes much further in many cases at a food pantry than bringing canned goods because they're able to get produ- uh, produce and food and canned goods at a better rate. Yeah, that's a really good point that uh, I, I'm not sure a lot of folks understand is that uh, they they can do it much more efficiently uh-huh. than you can and if you don't want those lima beans in your the can of lima beans in your pantry uh the average family is not going to want the can of lima beans either so uh just yeah. something else to keep in mind and something else if you are donating food um there are a lot of people with allergen sensitivities and gluten-free um those foods are needed as well by many families yeah. It's not just the bottle of peanut butter. So what I'm encouraging our listeners and viewers to do is send us your ideas. What are you doing this year? What have you heard about? Uh, perhaps it's even something that we can uh, do on the show, that we can, we can book on the program um, to, uh, or just talk about uh, and, and get uh, alternate ways of celebrating the holiday. Hold on. There's uh, Mr. DeMaio now coming, mm-hmm. coming in. Or as he, someone posted, the ghost of Christmas weather. The ghost. <laughs> somebody posted the ghost of Christmas weather. Okay, let's uh, let's see if the ghost of Christmas weather has. Uh, uh, oh, there's Sean. There we are. Uh, hey, I've got, is, the, uh, uh, I've is, got the forefront read here too. When we need okay, it. is the ghost of Christmas weather on the line there? Rick, are you with us? Yeah, I didn't realize I was a, I was a ghost, but I'll take that. <laughs> well, we're we're just we're just talking about the holidays here, and you know the ghost of Christmas, past, present, future, and weather. 
that's uh, one of the other things. Hang on, Rick. We're going to take a short break here, and uh, when we come back, uh, we will have Rick Tamayo with uh, whatever he's got for us for this week. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. At this time of year, we spend a lot of time indoors with our plants, so help them thrive. The plants you're viewing were treated with Leafzyme, a foliage spray designed to activate beneficial microbes already present on the leaves. A spritz every few weeks promotes growth-enhancing microorganisms that process dust and other particles into nutrition that indoor plants can absorb through their leaves for beautiful and vigorous growth. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Hello from Happy Leaf. This is BJ Miller, the horticulturist here on staff. Now that we've put away our gardens for the winter, it's time to start indoor gardening. The best way we can help you be successful with indoor gardening is to provide you with a really great grow light. There are a lot of choices on the market and it can be extremely confusing to decide what you need. Our goal here at Happy Leaf is to provide you with a light that lasts a very long time and makes your plants really happy. We have several satisfied customers, including our friends Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki, because we have specifically designed a light that is versatile, it's very effective, and it is extremely simple to use. Our lights are perfect for seed starting, but you can do so much more, especially these months of the winter. You can supply yourself with your own leafy greens and herbs, grow lots of different types of vegetables, keep your small fruit trees thriving, and your houseplants will think you've sent them for a day at the spa. I don't think Rick can hear this, but that's okay. We're playing a little bit of Christmas music here. Ah, Holiday fun. That means I can get the 30-second spot done in 25 if I get that pace going. If you get that pace going. In fact, you're welcome to start at any time, Peggy. Go for it. (laughs) The final event in the Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming series is coming up on Sunday, December 13th at 1 p.m. Join McHenry County College's Center for Agrarian Learning for Regenerative Agriculture. Details of a Profitable Journey. It explores the key principles of healthy ecosystems and defines ways these strategies can be applied to farms, ranches, and gardens of any size. If you wondered, can you turn that down, please? (laughs) Oh, it's not as loud here. Maybe it was really loud in your headset. Oh, dear. If you've wondered what folks mean when they talk about regenerative agriculture, 
sign up for this session. Nationally recognized North Dakota farmer and rancher Gabe Brown will discuss the six consistent principles of healthy ecosystems and describe how you can work with these concepts to cultivate healthy soil, plants, animals, people, and even profits. He'll also share the personal story of how he and his family took a broken and degraded farm and turned it into land teeming with life. The Forefront sessions are free and they're online via Zoom, but you do need to sign up. So go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and also check out the upcoming events at McHenry County College in December, January, and February of 2021. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let us go to meteorologist, uh, sometimes known as the ghost of Christmas weather, Rick DeMaio. How you doing, Rick? <laughs> uh, I'm doing fine, Mike. I'm sitting down here on a uh, bench on the first hole of Santo Domingo Golf Course um, in the Villages in Florida. Oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. uh, is, are, are you uh, about to tee off? No, 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 no. I came down here to help my parents out. Um, my mom had some health issues. She's doing okay. Um, but, um, no, this is, this is a working break. I mean, I'm down here mm-hmm. cooking and cleaning, and I got my schoolwork to do this week. So I'm just down here um, enjoying a little bit of the sunshine before it clouds up later on today. Um, and the same cold air mass that's coming through Chicago is going to come through down here in South Florida, or I say central florida and bring quite the uh quite the cold snap oh really so I'm oh. one more wow. yeah i'm joining one more day before it cools off yep wow what it, so what are the temperatures but what's cool off down there yeah sorry good good point um there peg uh well first off it's 81 degrees right now that's five degrees above normal uh expecting mid 70s tomorrow um probably mid 60s on uh tuesday but only mid 50s on wednesday and when they get below 50 degrees Tuesday night into Wednesday, that'll be the first time they've been below 50 degrees in almost eight months. They've been they've been pretty warm down here. Wow. Uh, well, uh, enjoy the uh, 80s and the 70s <laughs> and even the 60s yeah. while you can. Um, yeah. So, but that that does tell us that uh, we've got some colder weather coming through here in the next few days. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those storm systems that's kind of weird. It's kind of developing to the east of the Chicagoland area, basically over the uh, Great Lakes uh, into the Ohio Valley. Um, It's kind of a a tale of two waves, one wave coming in from uh, the northern Rockies um, and another wave moving in from the southern, if you want to call it the central southern plains. And as those two meet up, you're going to develop this gigantic area of low pressure, basically over the Ohio Valley. That's going to dump a whole bunch of cold air uh, across the Great Lakes, enough to produce um, what appears to be the first significant lake effect snow of the season. And, you know, typically we talk about lake effect snow um, in the month of, well, almost sometimes early, early November, uh, even late October, but we haven't had mm-hmm. cold air. So sometimes people say, well, what does that mean from a standpoint of, how does that affect the temperature of the Great Lakes? They're actually near somewhat normal uh, due to the fact that we had some pretty chilly air in the month of October. And even though we had that warm-up in the month of November, a lot of that was due to the fact that you had, you know, afternoon high temperatures in the 70s. One of the ways that the Great Lakes really warm up and stay warm is when you have very, very warm 
<clears throat> overnight lows and really high levels of humidity. We didn't really have that uh, with that warm-up. So temperatures of the Great Lakes, particularly south end of Lake Michigan right now, about 45 degrees. And one of the reasons why we, we talk about that is you always want to look at the temperatures up at about 5,000 feet. Uh, and they're expected to get down to about minus 10 centigrade. When you convert that into Fahrenheit, uh, that's 18 degrees for every 10 degrees centigrade. So if you take 18 from 32 at 5,000 feet, that's 14 degrees Fahrenheit. That means that the air temperature at 5,000 feet is going to be about 30 degrees colder than it is at the surface where the lake temperature is 45 degrees. Typically, we look for about a 20 to about 22 degree difference to generate lake effect snow. And when you get 35 degrees, that means that your atmosphere is loaded with instability. So there's going to be um, quite a bit of not only lake effect snow, but also probably lake effect rain uh, downwind of mm -hmm. Lake Michigan to start the event. But it looks like it'll turn over to all snow. But this is actually good uh, for the Great Lakes because when you get this much cold air early in the year, you get a lot of evaporation. You can easily lose about two or three inches of water off the Great Lakes. And that means that the lake levels, which have been coming down somewhat, uh, pretty much since about the middle of summer, will go down again um, over the next week or so. So even though people go, oh, this is terrible, you're getting lake effects, no, you're getting a lot of cold air. When you get evaporation off the lakes this time of the year, that helps lower the Great Lakes, which is what we need, because as we all know, they've been historically high over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think uh, folks need to look at the bigger picture. You're, when they talk about, oh, no, there's snow, uh, well, it's December, first of all, or it's about to be December, and, yeah. and, you, and you expect that. But as you said, if you look at the, the mitigation that folks have had to do with the, because of the water levels in the lakes in the last year, uh, this is a really good thing, and, and does it bode well for the rest of the winter? You know, that's obviously too early to say, but um, speaking of mitigation, Mike, if you go to uh, Gilson Beach up around uh, Wilmette, they've literally added about 15 to 20 feet of beach by taking back wow. the beach into, um, into the parking lot area. So normally you would think you would add to the beach, but we realize that putting more sand into the lake doesn't, doesn't help. They've, they've learned that it's before. Just drift to the um, next beach. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, Peg, it was, it was hilarious. A couple of years ago, they added all the sand to Lee Street Beach and Clark Street Beach uh, in the Evanston area. I'm looking at this. I'm going, it's just going to wash right back into the water. And pretty much that's exactly what they did. Uh, but up around the, the Gilson Beach area, I was there a couple of weeks ago, hmm. and they've literally taken back the beach. They've gone back into... Uh, the parking, not into the parking lot area, but they've gone in the direction of the parking lot by taking out some of the vegetation there, knowing quite well that the lake is most likely going to go back up in that area once you get a big storm. But you go down into Evanston, and they've spent a lot of money on putting these really, really large, it look like gigantic trash bags of gravel, um, pretty much all the way from about the end, the south end of Northwestern, um, all the way to like the north end of Chicago, right there by, uh, I believe it's South Boulevard. So it would be interesting to see how much the city of Evanston paid for that uh, or whether yeah. or not they got any help from either the state, the county, or the federal government. But this is what is being done now, Mike and Peg, to mitigate the fact that you are continuing to lose shoreline 
uh, due to the fact that our winters have gotten warmer um, and our springs have gotten wetter. And, yeah, uh, I, and I, I continue to see barges as well doing remediation further north, too. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, no, no, barges, no. The, you mean like bringing down areas of gravel, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that what I was going to ask you, Peggy, is like, what have you seen? Because you're up there along the lake. In terms of lake levels, they're still pretty historically high, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very high up here. And they're just, it, it, it's been kind of a gradual, <clears throat> as it goes up, kind of gradually removing in many cases a lot of the shoreline. You can see a lot more erosion. But again, as, as Rick says, if we start getting the winter storms, Without the lake levels going down, you, you'll see a lot of damage very fast. I was uh, watching, I heard somebody talking yesterday, Rick, about the uh, the winds that are going to be coming down the lake into Indiana, and some of those waves uh, in the next day or so are going to be pretty high. Yeah, that's another thing to talk about. I mean, I know the, the good thing that I'm talking about is the fact that the lake levels i got to drop due to evaporation, but before that happens, or I should say while it happens, uh, you're going to get 12 to 13-foot waves in the center of the lake. And because this is going to be a long-term event, meaning that it's going to go on for probably two and a half, if not three days, you're going to have massive beach erosion um, on the south end of the lake and probably also along the southeast part of the Cook County area. I think more so central and north. Probably not as much, but still, um, anytime you have somewhat of a slight north to even northeast wind, the wind always seems to bend and kind of push, mm-hmm. you know, westward a little bit. So you're going to have beach erosion, and probably I would not be surprised to maybe have some flooding uh, along the uh, lakefront path, um, pretty much from about Oak Street Beach down to about, say, 57th Street Beach. But without a doubt, this is going to be more of a northern Indiana and southwest lower Michigan um, event. And it was interesting to note, just last week on the front cover of the Chicago Tribune was the fifth uh, in a series of five reports by the Tribune about climate change um, and the Great Lakes. Now, I have my, my, my issues with this particular article because it basically talked all about one thing, and that was high lake levels. Well, clearly we know that Climate change does not just produce high lake levels. It also produces record low lake levels as well, as we saw back in 2012. So people need to realize that even though this article focused mainly on high lake levels, low lake levels are also um, a bit of a um, something that actually occurs when you have such high degrees of variability. So I just wish the author would have talked more about that and presented more, um, I think, you know, discussions relating to rainfall and drought and climate variability as opposed to talking about one thing. Maybe that's all they wanted to talk about because that's obviously the thing that everybody is looking at, which is a high lake level. Maybe that was the reason. But um, if he would have been a student in my class, I think I probably would have given him a B minus on that. <laughs> wow. sorry, uh, sorry, sorry to say this, but he didn't tell the whole story. Uh, you're a hanging yeah. judge. Okay. Um, but it also, uh, it, what I've realized, and we were talking earlier with uh, Nikki Jabour, uh, who's, by the way, she was on earlier and she lives in Nova Scotia. 
Um, you'd be very interested to know that the Maritime Provinces up in Canada, uh, they, they sort of formed a bubble at the beginning of the pandemic, and they had, she said they had like 19 cases in the middle of the summer when the rest of the world was going crazy. Um, so uh, it shows that you can be smart and protect yourself yeah. uh, from that. Uh, but she's up in Nova Scotia, and she's the same uh, basically hardiness zone that we are in Chicago because of Isn't the Mar- that amazing it is <laughs> yeah she's a, she's about i was looking in the maps it, halifax is kind of if you drew a straight line about it it looked like sheboygan south of green bay so yeah exactly yeah yeah and, and peg it's interesting because there's um uh that area was actually hit by i think remnants of hurricane teddy which came on shore as a category one um and if you look at that area of nova scotia um there's not a lot of forested area, uh, mainly due mm-hmm. to the soil, uh, but it does stay rather mild due to the fact that you have a lot of storms that move up in that direction. Uh, they rarely get any ice on the south side of Nova Scotia due to the fact that you have the North Atlantic Drift, and you just have a lot of wave action in that area. On the other side of Nova Scotia, it's a little bit different. But yeah, Halifax is actually uh, a kind of climate that's somewhat similar to, I want to say, maybe Vancouver or maybe even mm-hmm. almost Juneau, Alaska, even though they'll get pretty, pretty darn cold with these Arctic air masses that come through, um, they probably don't have the real severe lingering Arctic cold that we have here in Chicago. So we're more continental, they're more maritime. Right. Uh, but yeah. it's interesting, they'll, they'll probably get a tropical storm or a hurricane maybe once every five years. We'll, we'll see one maybe once every 20 years. Yeah, she... uh, so, yeah, they've, they've, had, they've had a very interesting uh, summer season as well due to, yeah. the, due to the extended hurricane season. Yeah, she's got a lot of these uh, enclosed spaces there, uh, hoop houses and that sort of thing. And one of the things she talks about is hurricane force winds that they have to sometimes yeah. – we don't usually have to deal with that here in Chicago. Uh, but no, the... and, and don't forget, they'll get hurricane force winds even with the nor'easter. They don't have a way for a hurricane to get a hurricane force Right, yeah. right. And because yeah. she was talking about uh, the weather there and made me think, uh, I've got beets still out in my yard that are still leafy and green and some charred, but after the next yeah. night or so, I'm going to have to get those out of there because uh, we're going to get yeah. below freezing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting climate. I think that's one of the cool things about um, those provinces of, of uh, Canada, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, particularly along the coast, I mean, they're abundant in, in sea life, obviously. If you play it right, you know how to work your, you know, your agriculture with, with the, the warm temperatures. You may not get you know, the intense sun that we get, obviously, during the summertime, but their growing season is probably longer than ours. Uh, and, in some, and in some years, they definitely take advantage of it. You know, speaking of hurricanes... You know, typically you look at November 30th, Mike and Peg, as the end of the hurricane season. Uh, and with mm-hmm. Hurricane Iota just a couple of weeks ago being the 31st named storm of the year, which is well, actually the 30th named storm of the year, uh, that put our ACE, which is the accumulated cyclone energy, up to about 175. Um, normal is about 105. It'll go down in the books wow. as the sixth, yeah, as the sixth most, if you want to call it, um, energized season. Um, 2005, when we had 27 name storms, was up at about 250, but that's because we had four Cat 5s. Oddly enough, we had to wait all the way to Hurricane Iota 
to get a Cat 5. We had a lot of small storms, a lot mm. of storms that kind of missed some populated areas. But what it also showed us was that we had a really early start to the season, a really late end to the season. And if you look at the breadth of where these storms actually made landfall, I mean, you went all the way from Central America all the way to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And there were a couple of storms that actually reached the coast of Portugal. And it was amazing how scattered the number of storms were, not so much in like a certain channel as we saw in 2004, 2005. Um, so we can kind of, you know, be thankful that even though we had a very energized season, um, it didn't really cause a lot of damage and certainly didn't cause a lot of death. So that's something to be thankful for. But at the same time, um, it's definitely a bearer of potential bad news as we head into the future. More and more of these longer lasting, you know, wider, you know, seasonal strikes um, as we head into a period of above normal temperatures, not only over the oceans, but also over the land masses as well. Uh, and by the way, I was just uh, checking the facts on this uh, because Nikki wrote in her book uh, that just came out that her growing season averages about 140 days, 140 per year. In Chicago, we get about 170 days in outlying locations, yeah. up to 200 in the city itself, like in my own backyard. In the heat yeah, it's about, it's about, I think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's averaged about 185 right along the lakefront there. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's 145. I thought it'd be maybe a little bit higher up there. I guess that's because of the fact that it starts out so late. Yeah. Due to the fact that the ground is probably pretty darn cold, um, even as you head into the month of April. But still, at that latitude, that's that's not bad. You, I like to see what it is at other latitudes once you head further west. Yeah, yeah it's probably. Well, she did say it was fi- a zone five B though. Yeah, so that's that's Chicago basically, except yeah. right along the lake. Sometimes we're considered Zone Six A, right along the lakefront. So, uh, speaking of cold weather, it's coming our way. I'm going to have to get my uh, beets either covered or bring them in and and harvest charred. Uh, how cold is it going to get in the next few days? In fact, uh, that can lead us into a forecast, Rick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so again, um, this big area of cold air um, is likely to kind of come in slowly. Um, probably today is going to be the last nice day where we have temperatures in the mid forties. I mean, yesterday we made it up to almost 50 degrees with sunshine it was beautiful for, you know, the end of the end of November. So I'm thinking most likely by this time tomorrow, we'll probably have temperatures, maybe 36, maybe 37 degrees with a fairly strong wind. And because that wind is going to be coming somewhat off the lake with a lot of cloud cover, we're not going to see a freeze in Chicago um, Monday night, we may get it into Tuesday uh, when the atmosphere begins to dry out a little bit and you get a little bit more of a land breeze. So 35 to 40 tomorrow night, or say 35 to 40 during the day on Monday, maybe 33 to 35 for an overnight low. Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday's high temperature may be near 40 due to the fact that we'll still have, you know, a little bit of a lake air mass over us, but most likely uh, mid to upper 20s, um, Tuesday night into Wednesday. Wednesday does appear to be chilly, you know, high temperature about 40 degrees. But you know what, guys? Beginning Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the cold air mass moves off to the east, and we get right back in the west-southwest flow. So by this time next weekend, we could be talking about temperatures maybe even close to 50 degrees. Wow. And it's probably difficult to remember, but two years ago, 
on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in the year 2018, we were under a blizzard warning. There was 13 inches of snow at Rockford. There was eight inches of snow at O'Hare, four inches at Midway. Uh, and that started what, what was generally our winter. So the last two years in 2018 and 2019, winter pretty much began right around the middle of Thanksgiving, if not the last week of, of uh, November. This year, it still looks like we'll get one more warm weekend before we may get some cold weather, but I still don't see anything in the way of any blocking pattern or any cold weather that's going to last any time long. And I still don't see us getting into any significant snow around here for at least another two or three weeks. So even though it's going to turn cold late tomorrow and into Wednesday, I still look for above normal temperatures by this time next weekend. Mm. Yeah. So, and I, can't... I would think you could cover that that. Uh, your chart and your beats. I think I could. Just, I could probably just get, well. get some uh, get some uh, straw on them, and mm-hmm. uh, they'll probably survive the next couple of days until we get warm again. That's uh, very interesting, Rick. And so, obviously... Yeah. See if it, we can extend that growing season to 200 days, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There'll be 200 days on on the dot, and uh, it's beginning to yeah, sound... <laughs> It's beginning to sound as though uh, there's not going to be much uh, whiteness in, in Chicago for the month of December. No, and what, what's really interesting is there was a really great article written just last week about even though we're in a La Nina, if you look at the water temperatures across the North Pacific, that's actually canceling out some of the cool water uh, across the Pacific Ocean and is making this um, an El Nino pattern that we've never seen before. And now we're thinking about, you know, uh, some of these long-term forecasts that you're trying to look at as, as past events don't have any, you know, true examples of, okay, that happened in the past, but this is not the same sort of type of pattern because you're having these, this warmer, the warmer ocean temperatures in the North Pacific and also the North Atlantic. So, again, forecasting now out into the future is a little bit more difficult. But as you alluded to, Mike, um, I don't think anything in the way of any deep snowpack coming at us anytime soon. Wow, this is not your mother's La Nina. Okay. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> all right. Rick, thank you so much. You have a, a, a good time. Please give our love uh, to your parents, and uh, I hope everything goes well down there, and we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. I'll be here in Florida until the 7th of May. Or 7th of May. I wish. The 7th, the 7th of December. The 7th of December. Oh, dear. You can hey, stay down. Hey, put it this way. Put it this way. I could wear, I could wear my Biden shirts now and the villagers without fear of being assassinated, right? Uh, oh, dear. Oh, it took them the whole report to get to the political part. All right. Uh, talk to you next well, week, Well, don't forget, I'm in the villages. People can hear me, right? Uh, I guess they can. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Oh, see you, Rick. Bye, bye. Take care. Uh, and uh, um, oops, let's, uh, where were we? We uh, yeah, uh, you know, sandbag once again by Rick DeMaio. Okay, I wanted to play one more thing uh, before we go because I meant to play it last week, and then in all the craziness, it didn't happen. But one of the greatest lines ever spoken on uh, television. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Okay, there we go. And uh, for those of you, do you, you know where that's from, don't you? Uh-huh. Okay, WKRP in Cincinnati. Yep. Just thought the... The, should... the turkey drop. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The infamous turkey drop. So let's just start here. I uh, want to thank everybody who was on the show today. 
as always. Um, Nikki Jabour, uh, go pick up her book. Give it to a friend. Give it to yourself. Uh, you're going to appreciate it. Uh, Sean Ruane from uh, Advocates for Urban Agriculture. Help them out. Uh, don't forget to send us your, uh, your, your tips on what you're doing differently for the holidays. We appreciate that. Uh, let's thank Kathleen. Let's thank Kayla. Uh, Rick DeMaio, of course. Uh, Basil the dog, who I heard a little bit of during the show. Woof. And Lagata the cat. Yeah. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 